reading in Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. The word of our Lord says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? around his household and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of of the Lord. Job was an ancient man of mystery. I say this for a number of things. His story is quite unique in the stories of the Old Testament. We're told that he lived in the land of Uz, and we're not told where that land is. And scholars, even today, debate whether or not it's perhaps in the land of Edom or perhaps even further east. We don't know where Uz was. He was a man of mystery. He lived in a mysterious place. The story of Job comes to us in what is quite possibly some of the oldest Hebrew on record. It appears that perhaps this is one of the oldest things that we have in our Old Testaments. Job's story is quite unique. He's quite unique in what we don't know about him, but he's also quite unique in what we do know about him. Not only was he an ancient man of mystery, but he was a man who knew what hurt is. As one of the classics of the Old Testament, I've mentioned this in the, um, in the few sermons that I preached on the Psalms just a few weeks ago, you really have five classics in the Old Testament. 
You have Genesis, you have Deuteronomy, you have the Psalms, of course, you have Isaiah, and then you have Job. And as classics, they are the most commonly referenced Old Testament books by the New Testament books. Job is one of the New Testament favorites. He might be one of your favorites. He's a peculiar character, mysterious character. He is a peculiar character, a suffering character. He knows what hurt is. And in knowing what hurt is, we read on in chapter 1 and then on in chapter 2 that Job loses his property, what he has, what he owns. He loses his children. His children are killed. As you read on through chapters 1 and 2, you read horrific tales of how his family is lost, how his property is lost. But then you read on and you find that not only are his children killed, not only is his property taken from him, but he also loses his health. His body begins to suffer and hurt. To make matters worse, he loses his wife's support. Men, we can handle an awful lot of conflict. We can handle an awful lot of suffering, an awful lot of pain. But when the one you count on to be your support isn't there, or in Job's situation is there but isn't saying what needs to be said, isn't comforting, we find ourselves infinitely hurting. She tells him, come on, seriously, you're going to hold on to your integrity? You're going to hold on to this faithfulness that you have? Just be done with it. Curse God and die. Wow. That's an awful lot of hurt. Everything he knows is gone. What he has, the lives that he's brought into the world with his wife, his very own health. And then his wife tells him, just hang it up. Be done with it. Curse God and die. That's an awful lot of hurt. Job comes to us as what we would call wisdom literature. It's right there before the book of Psalms. You've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And we call those wisdom literature. They're teaching us about life and how to live life well and how to also endure hardship. Living life well, we read like uh, the book of Proverbs and we read all those anecdotes about how life ought to work when things are working properly. How life was intended to work. You know, those who do right are blessed and those who do wrong are cursed. But Job is one of those that come to us in the form of pessimistic literature. What happens when life doesn't work like it's supposed to? What happens? How do we live when life isn't what it ought to be? When tragedy hits, when suffering comes on, and when we find ourselves in a world of hurt. The book of Job teaches us about the pain of human suffering. It tells us what it is to endure loss. Death, of course, is the worst. It hurts. 
it stings, it burns. Human suffering finds its pinnacle in death, but throughout life we find the pain of losing hope. When circumstances seem impossible. What next, Lord? Why me? Certainly this is all the bad that I can endure for now. We joke with ourselves that, well, bad things always come in threes. Maybe with this third thing, it's all past. Come on, Lord, I've lost my possessions. My kids have been killed and now covered in wounds and my body is falling apart. Perhaps all the bad has passed. And then Job's wife speaks up, just curse God and die. We know what it is to lose life. We know what it is to lose hope. We've all known what hurt is. There's not a person alive who's never known disappointment. There's not a person alive who's never known what it is to hurt and suffer. Pain is real. It is not just weakness leaving the body. It is not just your fat cells crying out for mercy. Pain is real. And physical pain is sometimes the easiest to bear. It's emotional pain and and internal pain and relational pain that really, really gets us typically the most. Job tells us an awful lot about the pain of human suffering. You read on in in this book and you find Job wrestling with all sorts of difficult and really impossible questions. Why me? What in the world has happened? What have I done here, Lord? His response starts out actually being quite helpful, quite healthy. His response is to mourn, to grieve, to embrace the hurt, to say, this pain isn't fun, but I can endure it. And then come along Job's three friends. And Job begins telling us about the danger of bad theology. Now you might think, wait a minute, what are you talking about bad theology here? Why we got to go all up into theology? This is a story. Well, theology is quite simply words about God. We normally think of theology as being something intellectual, some intellectual activity, something that's academic and impractical. But what we find in Job's account here is that theology is radically practical and sometimes it can be damagingly practical. His friends come along and they offer him not comfort, not assurance, not uh, strength, not support. They come. Job is sitting on the ash heap. He's mourning. Everything's quiet. Friends come along. They sit down beside him, pull up maybe a little chair. And that's good. 
But then they begin opening their mouths, and that's bad. He has one friend named Eliphaz. He's kind of like the pietist. He tells Job, basically, suck it up, buttercup. Submit to God. Endure this thing. You'll get through it. Huh. Thanks, Eliphaz. Then we come across Bildad. He's kind of like the traditionalist. Well, experience tells us that bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Come on, it's it's all academic, Joe. Something's wrong here. And then we come across Zophar. He's kind of like the dogmatist. He's the guy out on the picket line screaming, you get what you deserve. Wow. Thanks, buddies. There's a lot of, a lot of reassurance I'm finding in you. Can I have my wife back? She was a little bit more encouraging. She at least offered an escape. Just curse God and die. See, his friends offer him some bad theology. And normally our bad theology becomes exceedingly practical when we find ourselves, and specifically when we find others, in the hurt. We don't like seeing other people suffering. It makes us extraordinarily uncomfortable. We don't know what to say, and the bad thing is we feel like we should say something. To make matters worse, we probably should say nothing. Bad theology comes in a variety of forms. comes in the forms of those things that we say and think that are just too simplistic. You know, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And we park ourselves in the book of Proverbs and we, we pull these texts out like, you know, train up a child in the way he should go and then he's not going to depart from it. Your kid's living a wayward life. What in the world have you done wrong? It's a bit too simplistic. Because Proverbs is given to us to develop wisdom in us. How is it that life should work? What are those virtues that we ought to nurture in ourselves and nurture in our children so that when life is working as it should, they've got character and they've got honor. They know how to live the good and holy life. You know, we throw out statements like, everything happens for a reason. And sadly, we try to tell that to someone who's lost a four-year-old child. Everything happens for a reason. Thanks, you can keep that theology. You know, we, we run over to the book of Romans, we say, well look, Paul said it. Paul didn't say everything happens for a reason. He said that despite what happens, even horrible things that weren't intended, that were never intended to be part of God's creation, that God is able to take those things and bring healing and work them toward good for people who love Him. So don't blame bad theology on Paul. Don't blame bad theology on 
the writer of the Proverbs, we throw out simplistic things like, well, nobody's perfect. Maybe we say, I'm only human. You've seen the bumper stickers. Some of you have probably been guilty of putting them on your own cars. Take them off. What do we mean nobody's perfect? If you've got your King James with you, you'll find here that Job was perfect. Oh, wait a minute. I thought nobody was perfect. Yeah, there are other people in the Scriptures that are said to be perfect. It all depends on what you mean by the terms. We can't just throw out these simplistic, overarching statements to comfort ourselves. You know, hey, look, I sinned. Don't don't expect anything better from me. Whoa. Look, something bad happened in your life. Hey, that's life. Sometimes our bad theology comes in the form of things that are just plain wrong. We say things like, well, God causes all things. We normally ask the question, why did this have to happen to me? And notice all the insinuations of that. Why did this have to happen? Why to me? Why not somebody else? Sometimes our bad theology, it's not that it's too overarching, it's not that it's too simplistic, it's just dead wrong. God made this thing happen to me. He maybe could have made it happen to somebody else because apparently it was bound to happen. We tell ourselves that we can understand all things. That mystery is just a challenge. Give me enough time, enough of the right questions, and I'll come to all the answers. I can figure it all out. One of these days, it'll all make sense to me. Not according to Job, at least not for Job. One of the things we've got to be careful of in this this is one of the dangers of bad theology, is taking a story like the story of Job and trying to pull out some truisms and say this is how everything always happens. I don't think that's what Job is intended to offer us. I think what Job is intended to offer us is how did this man get through a really terrible experience with human suffering? How did this man... Find his faith in a good and holy and righteous Yahweh. Even when everything in his life seemed to say, you can't trust God, you can't count on Him. He's out to get you. He's unfair. He doesn't play by the rules. You know, C.S. Lewis said uh, in Screwtape Letters, Screwtape was writing to Wormwood, his little... Nephew, demon. And he said, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, the the most dangerous thing for us is when everything in life seems to declare that there is no God and if there is, He can't be trusted. And yet, 
someone presses on in faith in God anyhow. How do we live when the world falls apart around us? Too often, too many of us turn to bad theology and we run a danger in doing so. We run a danger because notice it's Job's comforters who, come, who actually come close to doing what Satan couldn't do. Satan tried to destroy Job's faith, to crush him. Yahweh, who are you kidding? You comfort him. You've surrounded him. You've prayed that hedge of thorns around him to protect him. You've set him up for success. Job's playing t-ball. You ought to be competing in the major leagues. Of course he's trusting in you. You keep babying him. Take the training wheels off and let's see what happens. See what happens when he tears up those knees. He'll curse you to your face. And Job threw out. It doesn't make sense. I can't explain it. I can't understand it. I don't know why it happened. I don't know if it had to happen, was bound to happen, or what. But it's pretty rotten and terrible. And yet, I know that my Redeemer lives. And somehow, some way, it will all work out so that even in the end, I will stand face to face before my Maker. In my flesh, I will see God. Job starts breaking out some resurrection hope. Somehow, some way, God can be trusted in this. But Job's friends, they come very, very close to doing what Satan couldn't do. We can inflict a lot of personal harm on others when we throw out bad theology when they're in the midst of hurt. We can oftentimes make the good news sound awfully bad. Oh, that's what kind of God you serve? Job tells us, not just of the pain of human suffering and not just of the danger of bad theology, but Job tells us of the comfort of God's presence. Yahweh finally shows up. Job's friends have come along and they've done an awful lot of damage. Perhaps even more than Satan could have done. They've gotten into his head He finds himself wavering, doubting. A man named Elihu comes along and he's kind of mysterious. He offers a little bit of advice, basically tells them all, shut up, stop talking. Starts tearing into each of them. But then you press on in the story and eventually God shows up. Yahweh steps into the hurt. He always steps into the hurt. 
we've already got our eyes kind of set on Christmas coming up. Don't neglect Thanksgiving. Get through Thanksgiving first. But we know what's going to be celebrated at Christmas. And we normally think of it as sweet and cute and fun. But Christmas is also about God stepping into the hurt. It's about Him showing up. The comfort of His presence. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us where? God with us here. God with us now. God with us in the midst of the mess. God with us while we hurt. Hurting with us. If you read C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, which he originally wrote pseudonymously, he didn't want anyone to know that it was him. It was kind of a random recording of thoughts and pains and dark prayers after the death of his wife. And he says, um, he says, you would think in the middle of my suffering that I would perhaps maybe hear the voice of God. He's come to meet me in my suffering. He said, but instead, what do I hear? I hear nothing. I hear a door slam shut. I hear it barred closed and I'm left with nothing, with no answers. Job, when he finds Yahweh shows up in the midst of his hurt, what does he get? He doesn't get answers. Those questions he had been demanding that God make an account for. God, you're going to show me how you can be just and righteous and still let this sort of thing happen. You're going to answer these questions. You know, put your hand on the Bible and raise your other, and you're going to swear to tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, you. God doesn't show up with answers. And shame on us if we try to think we can show up with answers. God doesn't say, oh, Job, 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 Job. I know, I know it was bad. It was bad, but look, I was trying to do something here. Trying to bring about something even better for you, Job. One of the few times in the Scriptures where God shows up and absolutely seems to overwhelm Job, let me ask you, where were you when the stars were hung in the sky? Finally, finally, what is needed to happen all along, which is really where Job began his pain, 
comes to pass and everyone just shuts up, stops talking. Our response to the pain of human suffering ought to be to shut our mouths. We ought to be slow to speak. We ought to do like the the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, let my words be few. Job quiets down. His friends quiet down. You don't even hear anything of Elihu. See, what we need in the hurt is we need a comforting presence. We don't need explanations. We need nearness. In the end, we don't need words from our friends. We need our friends. Job found he didn't even need God to give an account for what had happened. He was content with God showing up. Because with God's nearness, there's comfort. Do you know that there's some who will never know the comfort of God's presence in their lives until you've shared some time with them in the midst of the hurt. You know, we wring our hands and think, oh Lord, if you'd just reveal yourself to them, man, I want to see the best for them. Oh, if you just make yourself known to them. Oh, Father, I wish you'd just overwhelm them with your presence. And the fact is, you work with people, you live with people, you play ball with people, you rub shoulders with people who will never, ever, ever know God's nearness until you take the time to just share some time with them. Not necessarily on the fun occasions, but especially in the bad ones. For those of us on the outside looking in, when we find ourselves out of the hurt and trying to put things back together and trying to make sense of why is it that I went through such a tough time and why is it that nothing seemed to work out, when we find ourselves ready to to hear some words, Job offers us the fact that we ought to trust. J- 
Job doesn't give us in exchange for our easy optimism. He doesn't give us the opportunity to be cynical about life. He doesn't give us the opportunity for suicide. He says, calm down, slow down, and trust. Yahweh's faithfulness is worth it. You know He can be counted on. You know that 90% of the time, life is quite well for you. And it's that blasted 10% that gets you hung up. Don't forget the 90% for the sake of the 10%. Don't forget what you know because of what you don't know. You may not know calculus, but you know that 2 plus 2 is 4, and you know that 4 plus 4 is 8, and you know that 8 plus 8 is 16, and we can go through this on and on. 16, 16 is 32. 32, 32, 64. I have the benefit of having a, a kid's song in my head right now that goes through all that. You know that 3 times 7 is 21. Some people have to stop and pause and think through that and count through the threes or the sets of seven. Trust in what you know. And what you know is that Yahweh is faithful. He's always good. Now that's not a word for you to share with somebody who's going through a tragic loss. That's, that's not... Something for you to speak to somebody in their hurt. That's something for you to know as you're stepping into their hurt. In the end, Job teaches us that even when it seems completely impossible, even when it seems to defy all logic and all possibilities, Yahweh is utterly faithful. And He can be trusted. Even in the hurt. Let's pray.